You're listening to Dad's Diapers and Drinks. Three dads trying to lead their families well in a crazy world. So grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to Dad's Diapers and Drinks. I'm your host, Scott. <laughs> and I'm Nathan. <laughs> He couldn't hold it, and I tried. (laughs) And you're listening to episode 27. Mm -hmm. It is uh, Christmas season. Um, Yes. This is not a Christmas episode. No. I think next week will probably be a Christmas episode. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah. Anyway, we don't have a lot to say about Christmas just yet, but just stay tuned. Um, (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What's been happening, my boys? Uh, nothing. Yeah. We, we actually got two nights out, um, free from Davis on Friday night. Mom and dad came and watched him mm-hmm. and we got to have a little date night. And nice. then, uh, Saturday night we had, uh, we went to a wedding and we had more family come and watch Davis and it's just kind of nice. It f- oh, felt man. good to be free, you know? We haven't done that very much. <laughs> like, yeah. It's been like three or four months since we got out. So, which is not nearly frequently enough. I mean, but that's it's pretty much like the first big chunk that it's like just been the two of you, especially like a wedding. Like that's got to feel very unique and weird yeah. almost. Yeah. Kidless just at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, it's kind of weird when you haven't actually gone on a date with your wife in a long time. The first time you do it, you're like, hi, how are you? <laughs> it's been a long time. Like, how do we even do this anymore? Oh, wait, I have to just talk to you? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was it was good, though. Good it's, it's funny that like, hi, who are you, wife thing? I had a, <laughs> I had a coworker tell me, it was when I was contracting... And I was working, I lived, lived in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was driving to D.C. every other week mm-hmm. for like three months. And yeah, you one guys of those were like times, newly, newly married at the time. Yeah, newly married, driving to D.C. all the time. It's kind of fun. It's really, I mean, it's, it's a fun thing to say that like, yeah, I contracted in D.C. for a while. I was actually there when Trump was inaugurated. So I was like <laughs> in D.C. when all the riots and stuff happened. Which oh, was, wow. Okay. Weren't you at the, one of the Starbucks that got... So, I brought Ellen that in. week because I was like, hey, I'm going to be in D.C. <laughs> when the inauguration is happening, like, do you want to come with? Like, you can. I can put you up in the hotel room. I have my own hotel room. You can stay there. You mm-hmm. can go to D.C. for a while. So, she took time off work and she came with me and she went to Starbucks one day and the next day that Starbucks was on the news being burned down by people. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. You were the last huh? one to see it in that condition. <laughs> It's oh like boy. I was sitting at that table. There's like a Molotov cocktail going through the windows. Okay. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, that's not the point of this story. But no. So when I was road tripping, because you end up in a car for five and a half, six hours with my coworkers randomly all the time. I was driving with a really Catholic guy who knew I, I just talking to him. I just got married, and he was like, he was saying the story about having kids. That he had this awkward moment where he sat down with his wife after they put the kids to bed one night and was like, "Who are you?" I haven't talked to you in like two months. And I, I just remember that sticking in my head of like, dang, it sounds mm-hmm. brutal. And then I now I have two kids and I'm like, yeah, that, that happens. You just turn around yeah. and like, I haven't talked to you. Like, in th- I don't think I've had a conversation with you in three days. Dude. Yeah. Uh, you just get busy running your house and working and dealing with the kids and you don't 
Yeah, your conversations are like, did you do the dishes yet? And that's like yeah, the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like the only thing you say is, did you take the trash out? That's that's talking right. to your spouse. Yeah, I had like a really recent experience with that. Like I was talking to Katie actually on the way home from church. No, it was on the way to church. That I was like, I feel like, like with everything that's just been going on from baby stuff to, uh, you know, with the miscarriage and everything, and then Katie breaking her ankle. I'm like, I feel like our life is like really boiled down to logistics right now. And I kind of hate it. She's like, <laughs> I hate it too. <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, it's like a really big deal. And I feel like just the, the act of calling that out in our lives is like, yeah. even just today, I've like noticed, I'm like, wow, it's just like such a big perspective shift where you're like, wait, we need to like pay attention here. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. yeah, it's, it's good though. Like, it's hard to have those kinds of conversations, but they are so important and powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you add, uh, what am I trying to say? Like add language to something you've been feeling for a while. Mm-hmm. Once it's out there, you're like, oh, okay. Now we can work through it. Yeah. But the, the marriage conference that we went to last year, Nate, mm-hmm. one of the things that the speaker said there that I found kind of hilarious, but probably useful is if you're having difficulty starting conversations, you just need to like very awkwardly slam your way into a conversation. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you say just, the most abrupt word, just boogaloo. Like I, I need to talk about the, like I need to talk about the issue. And you're like, like just like whatever yeah. it takes to enter into the conversation, you got to do it. So yeah. I remember he said something along those lines. I was like, that's hilarious. And probably a good thing to keep in the back pocket of like, mm-hmm. You got to kind of break through the noise of your life. And if it, it's, if it's awkward, eh, it's going to be awkward. You just got to do it. And so, mm-hmm. right. And as such an internal processor, I will be so in my own brain about stuff. Kind of like, you know, when you're writing something, there's all this subtext that you don't get out until like, cause you're thinking it most of the time. And it's mm-hmm. like, Oh wait, I have to like explain that. I can even find that in conversation. Cause I'll be like, I'll be talking about something. And all of a sudden I'm like, I am now having thoughts that I did not have before because I'm talking about it all of a sudden. I was like, oh, yeah. I really do care about this. And I wasn't just like, oh, it's fine. You know, it's so easy to be like, oh, it's fine. But the moment you just like start externalizing your thoughts, it's just like all of a sudden it's a river. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a comedian named Tim Hawkins who the three of us are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he uh, comedians kind of have the same bits they do as they tour mm-hmm. um and he would try to change it up every show and i remember one of his dvds he said guys i'm hearing some of this stuff for the first time tonight too <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> i feel like it's so hard when you do a really good ad lib and then you're like all right that was really funny don't laugh at it yeah just hold it together <laughs> oh man I, I i did i always love that line every time i've seen that clip guys i'm hearing some of this stuff for the first time tonight too that's pretty funny uh, i so. i never thought about that line because back when i listened to tim hawkins who was probably the first comedian i ever really like really got into when we were younger yeah mm-hmm. um it's like him and brian or ken davis him oh, and ken, ken, ken davis yeah. was the first but like it wasn't the same to me as tim hawkins where mm-hmm. Ken Davis was like, that's a funny guy. He said things that I remember being funny. Mm-hmm. I know all of Tim Hawkins' good bits. Yeah. Like, like every bit that I heard was like, dude, that's of. freaking hilarious. And I memorized yeah. it. I was like, those are the funniest things I've ever heard. So that was next level for me. But like, I totally forgot about that section of that special where he goes, man, I'm, I'm hearing some of this for the first time too. 
And like now that I've listened <laughs> to comedy for like you know twenty years, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh wait, that's how I can't believe he actually that actually made it into his DVD. That's crazy. That's really good. Like, I didn't yeah. realize as a kid how unique that is that he pulled off an ad lib that made his DVD. Like that's good. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Mm. Good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, Nathan and I are drinking mm. eggnog oh. again. Yes, we are. The alcoholic stuff. eggnog. It is very good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I forgot to hit record on the video, but we have these wonderful glasses that are labeled dad's diapers and drinks. Yes. Or my, I don't know what you call it. They're etched. Glass etched. etched. Yes. So my wife actually, she started glass etching random things and she's gotten pretty good at it now. So if for whatever reason, there are enough people that are interested in these, they, we might make a merch store and they might appear on those. That's right. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. It would be cool. <laughs> uh, I am drinking you, my, my favorite Glen Meringue 14 out of the Cleveland whiskey mug. Etched glass. Nice. I nice. won't tell. The, I won't tell the Scotch. It doesn't have to know. But. Mm. <laughs> so, pertaining to the drinks, I have a little mini section, a little mini bit for you guys. Okay. And here it is. <laughs> it's the game show of guess that pour. So, I <laughs> went to a particular establishment after the Christmas concert this weekend on Saturday, and. Went to the restaurant, then they saw that they had a pretty quality selection of bourbons. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like looking up there and I saw that they had a bottle of Angel's Envy. And I was like, I wonder if they have the rye, which is basically unattainable right now because you just can't find it anywhere. It's very difficult. But it's, as you know, a very, Jeff, it's a very good, it's a very good bourbon. I really, really like it. It's pretty much the top tier bourbon in my book. In most people's so, books, it's one of the best. In my mm, opinion, it is the best. Yeah. So I asked the server, I was like, do you have Angels? Do you have just Angels Levy or do you have the rye? She's like, we have the rye. And I'm like, fantastic. Can I have a glass of that neat, please? And she's like, certainly. So she goes and gets it. And we enjoy our dinner and it's all delicious and everything. And I get the bill. Oh, gosh. And I almost fainted. <laughs> so a glass of neat. Angel's Envy Rye, if you guys had to guess how much that cost, and I kind of gave you gave it away a little bit, but if you had to guess how much a pour of that would be, what what was your guess? So well, guess it was never going to be seven dollars. So well, yes, I knew it wasn't going to be seven dollars, but still, take uh, a gander. I have no idea. I've never bought. All right, Angel's Envy. Let's let's do you first. <clears throat> 12 bucks. Okay, 12 bucks. 12 bucks. What do you have? Now, it's prices right like, rules, so don't go over. Is this like a shot of This is like a how much? so a a pour, a neat pour is literally just a standard single pour of okay. of whatever like, liquor. It's called open liquor is a term for it. Would it be like up to the indents in our uh, glasses here? Yeah, probably probably just below the indents. All right. 12 more bucks. than a shot. I don't know how much more. It's not it's not done. It's a good a good pour of a spirit. Um, yes. So I'm pretty sure the right now an Angel's Envy Rye bottle is something like $160. I looked it up. It is currently market value at $100. It's 100. Okay. The oh. standard bottle is 65 current. Okay. I thought the I thought it was more. I think I'm going to go with for a pour $25. $25? Yes. Jeff, congratulations you're the winner. 
the price was $28 with a $3 liquor tax, the equivalent of an entire bottle of Larceny. (laughs) And I literally had to pull over and go, is this, is this like the correct price or is there like some kind of thing that I didn't understand that you had to like open a bottle and so... You know, it costs more. She's like, no, that's a standard pour. She's like, you asked for it neat, so I, I gave you a double. And I go, okay, thanks. And I just moved <laughs> Thank on. You. So the first problem is that she gave me a double. I didn't ask for a double. I asked for a glass neat. If you ask for a double, they give you a double. That's a completely different thing. But she literally said because it was neat. Because I didn't want ice cubes in it, she gave me a double. And I was like... All right, never doing that again. <laughs> Lesson learned, man. I was just oh like completely gosh. blown away. It was really, really good. <laughs> I'll put it out there. It's still. Well, that's good. I wasn't we, entirely upset. We were at a winery a couple, uh, I guess it's, geez, it's probably been two months now because it was outdoors. It was warm. So mm-hmm. a couple months ago, it's probably for our anniversary. We went to a winery near us. It's called uh, Sapphire Creek. If you haven't been, it's fantastic. Ooh, nice. And we were there having a bottle of wine between the two I've of us. I've been there, but I know the owners. Yes. And I just asked, I was like, you know, what scotches do you have? And she's like, oh, they're over on this shelf. And I was looking at them. And I said, I don't know if I'm going to get one, but how much does it cost for a pour of scotch? And she was mm-hmm. like, mm, $16. And I was like, well, then absolutely never mind. I don't care what you have on the <laughs> shelves. I'm just yeah. not doing that, man. It's just too much. I don't know. Dude. It's like, just go buy a bottle. Why would you want to? They don't have mm-hmm. something you can't get at the liquor store two minutes down the road. Like, yeah. If you want scotch, it's from the liquor store. It's been fifty bucks, and get a bottle of it. I just can't do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. The it's math. Crazy. I I decided to do the math because I was so outraged. It is a two hundred and fifty percent markup. Two hundred fifty four percent markup because if you were to buy the whole bottle, it would cost you three hundred and fifty four dollars. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Which I was like. Okay. <laughs> uh, but hey, you live and you learn. If I yes. if I hopefully don't make this uh, mistake again, so hopefully this segment is good and dead. <laughs> but, <laughs> Next we'll year, see. This is a, guys, I went bought angels a at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nathan. No, no, not again. They had the black label. I had to try it, but I didn't decide to ask for the price again because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. Uh Fool me once, you know? Man. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that was a good story. I'm glad I could share it with you all. Yeah. I thought, hey, at least I'll get a bit out of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. Today's episode, we're going to go take a trip down Nostalgia Lane a little bit and uh, talk about our most formative experiences. Mm-hmm. The events in our lives that made us who we are. And uh, the types of events that we hope we can provide for our kids as well. So, um, yeah. How do we want to, how do we want to go into this here? Hmm. Jeff, as the youngest, I nominate you. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, as the You're youngest, welcome. here's the bus. <laughs> That's what you just did. <laughs> Aw, thank you. You know, someone had to look at the underside. I mean, how are we going to inspect the rest? Hey, that's the perks of being the small one. You know, that's, that's right. Jeff Sticker has there. Yeah, it's been my, it's been my right. whole life. Oh man, this is. Uh, I've, I spent a long time thinking through nostalgic stories today as we were getting ready for this, and it's it's really hard to pick just one or two because there's so many little mm-hmm. moments I remember that we've kind of continued on as jokes because our family is a bunch of 
we basically just do inside jokes and movie quotes and stuff right. all day every day mm-hmm. so there's there's tons of things I, I could talk about as far as memories that like really stuck with me that changed me i've already mentioned a couple of them on here too mm-hmm. one of them which i i again this is a blurry one because it's from when i was young but i remember a specific moment where i was annoying scott because i thought it was fun i was probably like five or six it was in our minnesota house mm-hmm. and scott said to me straight faced when are you going to stop annoying me and I was like, I don't know. And he said, well, like, freaking cut it out. Because it pisses me off. Or something like that. You're like an eight or nine-year-old or something. Yeah, eight-year-old me. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I said and it I pisses just, me off. But. You said something. You said, makes me angry. Whatever you would have said as an eight-year-old. Yeah. I don't remember. Yes. But I, I remember this moment as a kid going, you know, I guess I don't really want to live the next room over from a brother who's oh no we were still in the same room at the time we were, we were the top bunk bunk beds yeah so, yeah i was like i guess i don't want to live with someone who's pissed off yeah. at me that just sounds like an unpleasant way to go about life mm-hmm. it's probably not that i was probably not this articulate as a six-year-old but i remember thinking like in my head this moment of i don't really want to <laughs> piss off the people i live with that sounds yeah. like a bad way to go about things and mm-hmm. so that was like a kind of first moment of learning social cues that right. still sticks with me for some for some freaking reason. I still remember this story. So mm-hmm. I have zero <laughs> zero memory of that story, but I'm um, glad you do. Actually, I hadn't even thought of this until this moment. When I was younger, and I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, it was probably like middle school. Like my first real experience with like grief, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they'll listen to this, so I'll I'll keep names off the record, but some friends of my sister and I, and, uh, well, first it was my sister's friend, but then we just families, you know, just get closer together. So we would end up spending a lot of time with them. Well, we end up finding out, you know, that their cat that they've had for years and years and years had accidentally eaten rat poison and died Mm. because the neighbor put it out for whatever reason. Somehow the cat got a hold of it and- you know, they found the cat, like, not quite dead, but almost dead. So, like, you can imagine it's pretty horrific. And, yeah. like, this isn't like a, oh, you're an outside rascal, get away from me. Like, this is a beloved, you know, basically almost a family member. You know, some people, you just get really close with your pets. I mean, like, I couldn't imagine if my cats just kicked the bucket for fun um, because <laughs> yeah. of rat poison. So Yeah, that would suck. So we were there just, like, trying to support them. And kind of just, you know, go through this like moment of grieving with them. And uh, her, it was my sister's friend, her father was deciding, you know, he's like, he's just got to go do something. And he was in the backyard digging a hole because you like, we're going to bury this cat. We're not just going to keep holding it. Like, this is terrible. We need to put it in the ground and start to heal to some extent. <laughs> right. And He's back there digging and he's back there for like 20 minutes. And I feel like I'm like, I'm like a young kid. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I don't even know how to be empathetic really. And so I went back there and I was like, Hey, is, can I like help or something? And he just like stopped. He's like, uh, I just thank you, but I, I just need to do this. And I was like, okay. And like something in my mind, like clicked where it's like there's certain moments where the only way that you're going to get through something that is, you know, causes you to grieve is to really 
to just do it. And it's not like someone else can pick it up for you. And it's not like someone else can just like take it away from you. And you're like, Oh no, I'm no longer sad. Like, no, you need to like pick up the shovel and you need to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know. So it's like stuck with me for a very long time. And I was like, and strangely enough, even through the small grieving process that I've had to go through and it, it kind of, I, I still remember that. I was like, yeah, I just kind of have to do this. Like it sucks, but I just have to do it. <laughs> I got to do something, you know? Right. Like we went and played disc golf the day yes. you guys had your miscarriage. Yeah. Like, I just got to, I have to go do something. I was like, I got to go a- throw a disc aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got a PR for that day. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's unfortunately I don't think you had a great round that day. No, I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I didn't it wasn't about the round. No. It was about the doing. Yes. Boy. Uh sorry to I didn't know. mean to bring it down there. <laughs> bring it back up, Scott. <laughs> okay. Um growing up I played a lot of sports. Nice. And uh I remember I was a, a good baseball player, a good little baseball player. Mm-hmm. And uh I made the travel team uh Oh, what, how old was I? 10? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next year I tried out for travel again and I got cut and I was devastated. <laughs> That's totally stinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was tough. I, I wasn't like, I wasn't great friends with any of the kids on the team mm-hmm. and they all went to the same school, but I went to this like charter school. Um, we went to, I, I think we mentioned this on the podcast a f- number of episodes ago, but Jeff and I went to this, like it started as a homeschool group. Then it became a real school. It was a charter school. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very you know, close to homeschool. It was, it was pretty much homeschool. There was a decently sheltered group of people. Um, so I was, I was a sensitive little kid and I, I really cared. And I still care to this day what people think about me, which is part of the reason I didn't share this podcast for many episodes. Um, <laughs> Cause I care what people think and I, I like, I want to share my opinions, but it's also like, I'm terrified of what that might, what the implications of that might be. Mm-hmm. But anyway, as a little kid, um, I, I don't know. I was so sensitive to what people thought of me and I, I didn't really get along with the kids on the, on the baseball team. And then I got cut and then, uh, I, I don't know. I was just devastated. I started throwing stuff around the house. I remember going to the top of the stairs and like chucking my baseball glove down and like just mm-hmm. throwing a little temper tantrum. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the first time, probably one of the first times I didn't get something that I really wanted. Um, like I, obviously on a small scale that's, that had happened numerous times, but <laughs> mm-hmm. this is the first time like I worked for something mm-hmm. and uh, despite my best efforts, I was not awarded the thing I wanted. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that was uh, just a, a little lesson in dealing with failure in some respects. So, yeah, um, that was a pretty big moment for me. Um, but then I eventually got over it and played in the American league that we called that it back the best then. freaking league and for then, kids uh, ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where we grew up in Minneapolis, it was a very competitive athletic environment and all the same kids played all the same sports. And we like, like I'm better at baseball than this kid, but he can destroy me in soccer. So, and we like, knew it kinda, too. Cause we knew <laughs> the kids on my baseball team. I also were also on my soccer team and my basketball team. And I was like yeah. that kid, Ryan better than me at basketball, baseball. 
I'm better than him. Soccer, I'm better than him. He's got me in basketball. We like we knew this. Like all the people on the teams, yeah. like everyone played all the sports, and they were really good leagues. Yeah, so it was the, the, the facilities, the baseball fields we played at as ten year olds were better than the mm-hmm. varsity field at our, at our high school. I know we <laughs> it was, they Ohio. were so good. Grass infields. Well, wow. Okay. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of my favorite memories of that time is my dad. We've said this before. Our dad coached us in a lot of the sports we played as kids. Right. And our dad coached my fourth grade baseball team. We were the Mariners. I still remember that. I, we were the Mariners. Yeah. And, uh, we were undefeated. We won everything. And it was like the most fun. It's just this like idolized year of baseball for me where mm. that year, my dad decided to try out to be a coach. It was also the first year I was old enough to play in the American league and not the national league, which is the, the lesser league. And in the tryouts, I, they only take the top 200 kids in the tryouts. It's like hardcore. If you don't make the top 200 or 250, whatever it is, you're cut and you're in the national league or the top. Our tryouts were actually held at the Metrodome. Yeah. Where the, where, where the Minnesota twins played. Oh, but the Metrodome has now been destroyed, but, um, <laughs> at the time back then that that's where we had our tryouts. So oh, wow. a, there are hundreds of kids. It was, it was a big deal. So, so they only take the top 250 or and so only, kids. And just to brag on myself a little bit, there's only one travel team and there are like 12 kids on it and I made it. So mm. that, was, you know, that was pretty good. It was anyway. pretty hardcore. So <laughs> because Scott had already made the American League, my dad was able to get himself in as a coach of American League team. So even though mm-hmm. the first year that I played, I didn't, I didn't even make the cut of players. He was able to pick me anyways because he was like, I don't care. I'm, I, the, the, the coaches will then draft. They get all the tryout information from all the players and then they yeah. draft themselves a team in a legit draft. Like it's the wow. most hardcore league for kids ever. It was it was amazing. <laughs> so intense. Yeah. So my dad picks me, and he also mm-hmm. picks my 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 childhood best friend Ryan, whose dad was the other coach. So he got the two of mm-hmm. us, and then he got to pick his two first round picks, which was like the number three kid and the number seven kid. It just so turned out that me and Ryan ended up being the top two players in the entire freaking league. <laughs> really? So we had four right. of the top ten players in the league on our team. Oh and my word. I don't know how I did so bad in the tryout. I don't know what the heck happened to me, but I was apparently bad in the tryouts. But by the, by the end of the year, I was rated like I had like the best, some freakish stats. I don't remember the numbers of this crap anymore. It was way too long ago, but like we ended up just being the most dominant team and it was the most fun year of baseball I ever played. Mm. Yeah, it was incredible. It was just such a peak experience. And then we moved to Ohio and it was like, do you want to play for the sign up league? Like, yeah, there's no tryouts for this. No, I was like, no, no I don't want to play in this league. <laughs> I know it's unfortunate. Like I love the area that we ended up moving to. Like Sugarland Falls is great, yeah. but mm-hmm. the schools are small and just not competitive. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yep. Um, so that was unfortunate. But uh, it's cool that as the coach's kid, you were able to still perform so well because there's always a bit of skepticism with the coach's kid. You're like, he's yeah, only on the bad team cases because his dad's the coach. Yeah. So I yeah. think the the thing that we did is we just stole. Because stealing was allowed that year for the first year. Like, if you're in the American League, you're allowed to steal bases. Before that, you're not allowed to. So my mm. dad, being an actual baseball player and a coach, just said, guys, I'm telling you, this catcher cannot throw to second base. If you get on first, <laughs> first pitch, you steal second. We're like, okay. No signals. He just told us, if you make it to first, first pitch, you steal second. So the coaches are all like looking for the signals and stuff. 
we're, mm-hmm. we're like, no, nah, we just run, man. We're faster than bro. Yeah. If, if, I, if I start running as soon as the ball's coming out of the pitcher's hand, he's not going to make it to second. I'm going to get there. Yeah. So yeah. we literally, so that was the thing that I had is I wasn't, I was an okay fielder or whatever, but I was just fast enough that I literally stole second and third. Every time I got on base, I stole second and third for an entire oh, season. It's like ridiculous. It's too good. So. That was my so peak, yeah. peak sports moment. It was probably that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I also remember this was like my second grade baseball team. Dad coached it. It was on. I was on the Rock. Was, it, was this you? This is weird that I'm getting the memories mixed up. On the Rockies. Who coached? Were you on the Rockies or was I on, I on the Rockies? One of us was. I don't remember. One of, <laughs> the name, anyway. <laughs> the name's from the year. Was, it's you dad, now, Scott. <laughs> our dad was the coach and it was coach pitch at the time because mm-hmm. we we're all too little to actually pitch. But the opposing team's coach when they would pitch they'd be lobbing the ball in there yeah. and their kids would just dink it in the infield our dad when he would pitch he would actually throw a freaking fastball <laughs> like throw you a legitimate pitch yeah a real pitch so yeah. that when we hit it it went far <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we were crushing people <laughs> you're like i'm gonna make it hard on you we're hitting doubles and triples and you're gonna do better <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh uh, that's actually so smart <laughs> Like, I'm going to train you for fast, and you're going to do fast. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me excited to be a coach, because especially from what I've seen in the area that we live in, it's a lot of just parents who are like, I don't know, I'll be the coach. I was like, I think Mm -hmm. our dad kind of went, you know what, I'm just going to apply a little bit of strategy, and I think we're just going (laughs) to (laughs) win. And he's so competitive, he's like, I'm totally going to win this league. That's I remember that's why he got into coaching because I think he didn't coach like my when I was in first Dude, grade, your first couple like, years he didn't coach he you. didn't coach anything but he couldn't stand sitting on the sideline and watching my coaches not know what they're doing mm-hmm. so he's like I can't stand idly by and let this go <laughs> so he, he got involved and then uh, I mean he became great friends with uh, Don and yep. Ryan and mm-hmm. um, it kind of was kind of a cool thing they had going for a number of years there they would coach together and we'd baseball sports, basketball soccer play sports with his son and yeah so mm-hmm. that was that was a pretty cool thing yeah my dad being you know in sports ministry for so long he was my coach in a lot of my sports for a very long time which a lot of people like you guys have said you're like oh it's just a coach's kid he doesn't really know anything but like I had the inverse of that where I got the most scrutinized out of all of them. Yeah. It's like, no, you're going to do good. <laughs> you're not going to be able to just idly stand by and just screw off the whole time. Like, no, you're, you're going to be good. So I would get put, you know, playing with kids, you know, soccer five, six years older than me, which in turn ended up making me way better. I mean, it was the sole reason I was actually able to play like premier league, like U 13s and 14s. I mean, granted, they were all way too serious. That I mean, we talked about this in the right. sports episode, but they were so serious. I was like, this isn't a game anymore. Like, I can hang with you all, but you're not fun. <laughs> I'm yeah. not enjoying this. I had that problem. But, like, I was great as a kid, and then once mm-hmm. high school hit, I kind of mellowed out, and I didn't care anymore. So. Yeah. But yeah. we had uh, ambassadors in sports soccer camps every year. And, I mean, since my dad's part of the organization, I would go every year because he was going to be there. So it just made sense for my sister and I to go. And there were so many years. I mean, they were huge, like 250 to 500 kids, you know, at a single soccer camp. And it was quite competitive. Like, like a lot of the people that happened to be there, like there was obviously some scrubs that didn't have any idea what they were doing. And <laughs> you're like, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> but one year we had, we didn't have even really the best team. I think it was like when I was like 10 years old, but there was something about it. Like we got really close, really fast. And like, we're really able to like, kind of understand how each other played very quickly and had a really like solid team atmosphere, which I feel like most of the time it's like, oh, you have five good kids, so they're going to win. And right. that was the case, but it was more like we were all like all slightly above average essentially. Mm -hmm. But because we played so well as a team together, we just decimated everyone. We literally beat every single person, did not lose an entire game through the entire soccer camp, which the biggest deal for me was that was the same year that I ended up actually getting the MVP award, which literally only one kid in the soccer camp actually got it. So it wasn't just like, a, oh, your team's really good. Like it had to be like an across the board. Mm -hmm. You did the best, but you had the best sportsmanship and you had, you know, you were helping other people out and you were, you know, helping clear up the fields and stuff and just doing all the things that weren't required of you essentially, mm -hmm. but you're willing to do the extra. And I was like, oh, this is like a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like I still remember that year of soccer and how I was like, this is what, you know, teamwork and soccer was like meant to be as a sport or just sports in general, you know? There's all this idea of even now in like professional sports, you know, or college football, I'm watching college football, guy makes one catch and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the best. And you're like, dude, you're not even in the, you didn't even make a touchdown, <laughs> you know, and everyone's going to try and strip the ball out of everyone's hands instead of actually tackling someone because they want to make the big play mm -hmm. instead of, you know, help their team win. It's like, you could have stopped him 10 yards ago, but instead you're just trying to paw at his hands the whole time. And yeah. it's a giant waste. <clears throat> yeah, I wish that was bigger, <laughs> honestly. That, that was one of those things that I, I feel like I noticed. I was talking to our dad about this a while ago. But mm. like the way our basketball program worked at our high school, they only looked for people who were like the star players, and they didn't really care much about building a team. They yeah. kind of cared yep. about getting the top really talented player and trying to give him the ball as much as possible and let him be like, let him do everything. Yeah. And the most talented players that I played with, the kids around my team when I played basketball, that were very good for our age, you know, in middle school and in, in early high school, they were they were very good players. Mm -hmm. The best one of them got to play D3 basketball. Which one was that? Noah. Noah? He got to play yeah. D3. So I was talking to my dad about that and he said, yeah, that's what frustrated me so much is none of you are good enough to go anywhere with basketball. And that's painfully obvious to anyone who's got any talent at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, you yeah. look at these kids, it's like, like none of you are going, you're, none of you are a D1. None of you are close. Mm -hmm. So why do you care if that kid's a little better than that kid? He's yeah. not going anywhere either. He's five foot Even seven. He can't jump. Like he's not going anywhere in basketball. So just make he's a good He's going to make it to the locker room. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So just like his, he shared that with me a couple of years back when I was just reminiscing about how there's so much stress in high school sports around here, mm -hmm. even though you're not going to do anything with it. The football right. pro programs are pretty good. There's a number of kids from our area that go D1 in football. There's a couple in soccer, a couple in track. Mm -hmm. But basketball? There was a baseball uh, stud from Kenston my year who went to play at OSU. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I'm pretty sure, I don't know what he does now. He's not in the not in the major leagues. He didn't leagues. make the MLB. Mm -hmm. and I know. So it's like we stress if, ourselves out so much over it in high school. I just don't think it. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, quote Steve Harvey, nah, he, 
he don't exist no more. He works <laughs> he at a shoe shoes. store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like you, if, if you don't make it to the top echelon of the sport, you're just going to drift back down to normalcy with everybody else. Mm-hmm. So like you have to see the potential. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time promoting the kids who happen to be a little better than everyone else. Yeah. Like in our a little, little better than 180 class size yeah. D3 high school team. It's like, yeah, he's good, but he's not like, come on. He's not, he's not great. Like nothing's going to happen here. You're not going to destroy the yeah. whole team for this. Like, that's not, that's not worth it. And they're mm-hmm. the problem with the other problem with that is their egos just exploded. Oh yeah. And they mm-hmm. couldn't play with anybody because yeah. they thought they were hot stuff. Um, so it was very damaging the way that all worked. And and that happened to me, too, in, in reverse. Like, I actually made varsity baseball as a freshman, and it freaked me the heck out. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I felt like I had all this scrutiny on me. Like, who's this freshman who's on varsity? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't freaking know. I don't know why they did this to me. I should be a JV, maybe. <laughs> this is a <laughs> cruel just, punishment. <laughs> why, can't, why can't I just play in the freshman team with the rest of my friends? So... It was not good. Uh, uh, I, they should not have ever done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I underperformed because I I was just I don't know. It sucked. That it's high school baseball man. being fourteen with yeah. a bunch of eighteen year olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the amount of growth you do physically between those years is huge. Like I went from middle school pitching and destroying like. I had one of the best batting averages in the league in eighth grade to ninth grade. Now I'm seeing 85 mile an hour fastballs. Like I didn't see this any anything close to this last year, so it was uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. I, I only went to JV as a freshman. I was not not quite as high as Scotty At, in the baseballs. So. I I was a floater. I did varsity and JV. Mm. Yeah. So it was anyway. Brutal. Sports sports were very formative yeah. for we, the three of we us. We all spent a lot of time playing sports. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's for sure. So well, I, I have a I have a music story, which is the other thing oh. that we spent a lot of time doing was musics. Mm-hmm. One musics, of the things yeah. that was a it was a very surprising moment for me. It's kind of two mm-hmm. two moments that I'm gonna pair together. The first one was my junior year of high school. I played trombone mm-hmm. in the high school band. Mm-hmm. Scott had done two years of saxophone, which fulfills yep. the high school requirement of a musical whatever, two years of choir or two years of band, doesn't matter which one. And then you can be done. And Scott did his two years and then was done. So I had yeah. done my two well, years was, freshman, sophomore. Is that that's I was correct, in band right? all, I was in band all four years. I didn't ever try. Like I was, I was in the concert band. I thought, I didn't mm. think you did it your upperclassman years. Did it? Because uh, I was in and you weren't there. <laughs> well, you did. Uh, maybe you're right. You only did two I years because I was in high school those years and you were not in the band room with me. <laughs> true <laughs> this is true all right continue so we're fixing memories here <laughs> boy so my sophomore so year fun. i was the first chair trombone player of the lower band we had two yes and i thought cool whatever i kind of hate this i'm just gonna be done but then because i was a horrible student i was like my gpa is so bad this is an easy a and i actually need this <laughs> to be an easy a if i'm gonna make it through this dang high school thing so fine my junior year i'll freaking do it again i don't enjoy it but it's an easy a, i'll just do it whatever and mm-hmm. i accidentally made like third ch- fourth chair symphonic band which is the That's upper the band better band yeah mm-hmm. and 
I loved it. It was like the most fun really? I ever had playing music. I app, we had well, Mr. Branch his first year. Yeah, they had just hired him and he was fantastic. And he mm. was fantastic. So we had a brand new director. He was excellent and really motivated and pushed us a lot to play really well. And it was very fun. But we didn't even bother going to a competition because he didn't think we were that good. Mm-hmm. My senior year, I somehow got second chair uh, trombone. I think I know the story you're about to tell. So, Keep going. I accidentally got the second chair trombone, which I was like, I, I'm, I can't believe this, but like the, I remember he gave me the tryout music for the, they do a bunch of tryouts. You record it on your own and then you send it to him and then they listen to it and he, he ranks everybody. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking the trial piece is like, this is like an easy piece of music. What, why did the, why is this piece of music so easy to play? Whatever. I played it real quick and then that was it. And then I, as I was walking out, one of the girls who was a like trombone player who was all into it, took lessons and was played it her whole life. It's like, that piece was really Mm -hmm. difficult. And I was like, no, (laughs) what are you talking about? Wait, did I do good on this? What just happened? (laughs) So I I never, my mom was always mad at me because I never took my trombone home once. That thing lived at school. I never practiced a thing. Left it in your locker. It was in the locker. Uh, Never left. My band record. That's great. He he literally said, he started giving credit to people who would take their instruments home on the weekends because I just left it there. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, fine, I'll take it home. Put it in the back of the car or whatever. You at least got the trombone for free because it was our uncle's. Yes. It'd be different if you spent thousands of dollars on it like they did for my saxophone. And And then then I never practiced. Yeah. Anyway, so I I make second chair and it was even more fun because now I'm playing first parts, which is like, Mm -hmm. there's parts in choir music. It's very, if you haven't done it, Every instrument has multiple parts they play in any song, which is all... I don't know how you write that music. It's so incredible that any human being writes any of that stuff. It's freaking Mm -hmm. insane. So I really enjoyed that. And at the end of the year, our band director thought we were good enough that he entered us into the Ohio State competition for high school bands. (laughs) No big deal. All right. No big deal. We didn't do this (laughs) this last year. We only did it my senior year. So we drive to North Royalton, where Scott now lives. Mm -hmm. Which is where we are right now. Yeah. They hosted it at the North Royalton Auditorium and in their high school because they have like three places where you can have a whole band. And while we're there, we play our two pieces that we prepared. We freaking mm-hmm. nailed them. Nice. And then they gave us this blind trial where they give you a piece of music you've never seen. And then you have to play it. You have five minutes. And then you have to play it. Woof. Woof. So as we're doing <laughs> it, we take our five minutes. We're studying it. And yeah. It's a piece of music. They choose it for a reason. They choose it because it has weird stuff in it that you would normally need to talk through to make sure you know what you're mm-hmm. doing. So this one has like a 4-4 a four, four measure, a 3-4 measure, a 2-4 measure, and then a 4-4 four, four measure in it. It's mm-hmm. like it like cascades down yeah. for a little like weird breakdown of the music, then it comes back into the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And while we're doing it, we're all sight reading this thing. And my band director, Mr. Branch, is up there, and he's going. And he messed up. He went a 4, and then a 2, and then a 3, or something like that, and he was off. And the yeah. entire band kept on playing. We all recognized. I remember seeing <laughs> he's wrong. I remember thinking he messed up. And then we kept playing and we played oh through word. our director's mistake. And he got back with us. And then we played out the wow. rest of the song. So good. And because we Dude. did that, the judges were so blown away that we pulled that off. We won the like, whole we're thing. We're not listening to you. <laughs> yeah, we won. We, we were the number one rated for division. I think we're division two. We weren't division one. But for division two high schools of band, we won the whole state with that. 
And that Dude, was a huge awesome. moment to me of like, wait, am I actually good at music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get that That's I drum for the thing. high school youth band at church. But like, am mm-hmm. I actually, am I actually good at this? Am I like in the big picture, pretty decent mm-hmm. at music? Wow. That was a kind of a really reassuring moment for me that maybe I'm actually like, I'm not second chair in some crappy high school band. I'm second chair. You're in second like a, chair. Like a good in a band. really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's so cool. The, I can't imagine like how many people were in the band. Uh, 30 80? something, 40, 80. I don't know. That's a lot of people to just go, mm, he's wrong. No, just keep that's, going. <laughs> that's what blows my mind, that that many of you recognized that he was wrong. That's a picture um, oh, of the sure, I'm sure it wasn't sure all. sure there was like a couple stragglers. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't all of you. I'm sure you but were enough. just trying to play with each other. Yeah. Yeah. But enough. The majority at least got it. All the first chairs got it, and everyone <laughs> else just followed. Yeah. <laughs> Follow me, I'm playing. You play really loud and confident, you know. That type of stuff. With me. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Oh man. Mm. Oh well. Kind of back to the kind of sports, but not really sports. Is something. uh, So my really good buddy Cody Nows, which everybody used to think that we were brothers because we had like the same hair and we had. (laughs) And you showed up in the same car to everything. And and we show up in the same (laughs) car to everything. Yeah. And we were basically almost inseparable. Uh. We would just do the craziest stuff all the time. Like he, it was entirely like a perfect combination of I had to finish everything and Cody could start any project at the drop of a hat and be like, this is what we're doing. But then he would like peter out in his determination. I'm like, no, we're going to make it through. (laughs) But with that, we ended up like doing some like really crazy things. So one of the things is we decided to build an obstacle course in his backyard. Remember this thing? Yeah. (laughs) It ended up being like, I don't know. There was like 20 to 25 individual obstacle cor- obstacles over like five fourths of a mile by the time. Five like, fourths. Yeah. I, I, we, five fourths I, of I, a mile. I measured over. it. <laughs> yes. Five fourths of a mile. It was slightly right. larger than three quarters. Not not a bit, but just slightly no, larger. You mean four fifths? Yeah. Yeah. That one. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got it wrong. <laughs> don't worry. Your fourths. plane will definitely fly okay. I put a five fourths screw in there. <laughs> This kid, uh, yeah, this guy works on planes. <laughs> I don't use the fractions. It's all wrench sizes. I don't need those. Um, so four fifths of a mile. <laughs> there we go. Slightly over three quarters. Slightly less than but one mile. Yeah. Slightly less. Yes. But we had like some crazy things that we added to it. We had like a toboggan run. We had a rope hang. We had a like a section where you had like had logs that we had like sunken into the ground that you had to hop back and forth. We had suspended swing logs, giant reverse. Uh, what is it? Like a, like an oversized ladder that was like angled back towards you. It took like 20 yeah. minutes to complete the whole thing easily. And we ended up inviting our whole guys group, which mm-hmm. was like all the group of guys that we hung out with all the time, our accountability group. And we were like, Hey, come over. We built this obstacle course. We want you to all do it. We got everyone to do it, and everyone's like, "Oh, this is gonna be easy." <laughs> Not ever like no one had ever even walked the course, and they're like, "Go through it." People are, like tr- dying by the time they're getting back to the, the end, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, this is great." <laughs> but like the amount of perseverance, like that was months, like legitimately months of setup, and to have something like truly pay off like that, of like mm-hmm. this is actually epic. Like this isn't like a half baked obstacle course we came up with but like it was, it was legit. very legit 
And just like the fact that like to actually see something pay off like that after putting in all the effort was just, I don't know, it was really inspiring. Yeah. It inspires me to continue to do really, really hard things and even being like, this kind of sucks and I'm tired, but just to keep going, you know? Yeah. You guys also made that giant water slide. Oh, yeah. Here, right? <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we want to build a slip inside, but we don't want to do it like easy. So we actually trenched the hill that's in his backyard. He like lives like basically near the edge of like a 30 foot ravine, ravine, essentially. And there's a sledding hill that we usually go down. And we're like, what if we just dig a trench and then get like 200 feet of plastic, run some water down it, water slide, done. Boom, brilliant. Well, it was way faster than we anticipated. To (laughs) the point where you usually had- At the bottom of it. (laughs) Like literally we had to stack hay bales and wrap the plastic around the end because you would hit the hay bales going about 15 miles an hour after like a good 120 feet runoff of flat ground because you had so much speed coming over the crest of this hill. <laughs> yeah, and it was so much fun. And my buddy Camden, actually, he didn't even go and look at the hill. He, like, showed up, and he was just like, all right, let's send it. He just, like, jumps down the hill. You just see him crest the hill, he goes, oh, crap! Just, like, flying down and smashed in the hay bales. goes, hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> We're like, you're insane. <laughs> uh, it was so much fun. But, yeah, we did all kinds of things. The, he has a creek in his backyard that we had an insane rain that it completely overflowed. And we're like, let's just buy some pool floaties and just <laughs> go down it. <laughs> Meanwhile, we didn't know there was like fallen trees in the way. And we're like trying to dodge them and not get lacerated. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, those all those kinds of crazy things that we did together. Yeah, that's but, awesome. Yeah. That's how you make memories, kids. Real talk. You are it's outside. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah doing yes. stuff that you probably will get hurt at some point doing yeah mm. Garrett, if you make it out you will remember it forever <laughs> <laughs> if you make it out oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's yeah. good times what, what's your nearest death experience do you guys think i know what mine is oh do you have one let me think for a little bit i want to hear yours mm. so nate mine involves your wife Oh, okay. <laughs> this was on a mission trip with our church yes. to the Dominican Republic. Oh, okay. The water, <laughs> the white water rafting rules in the Dominican, yep. Dominican Republic are a little more lax than they are here <laughs> in the States. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in, in the States, we have rules like we don't send people down sections of rapids where the water is like, you know, four inches deep. We have a minute, mm-hmm. like a minimum of like a foot deep of water that you're allowed to use for commercial rapids or something. I don't remember what the exact numbers are something like that. Dominican Republic does not have those rules. So we go, we decide it's our mission trip. There's this tradition with all of the mission trips. Our church does that. There's mm-hmm. always one fun day where you just, we're doing something. We're in this country. It's one to, only time you're probably ever going to go here. We got to do something fun in the country. That's unique. So we decided to go whitewater rafting in the DR. Now I was in the probably second to last um, boat and the boat in front mm-hmm. of me had our friend Billy, it had Katie, yep. it had yep. Keith, the missionary we were there with, and it had one of the Dominican natives who was also a mm-hmm. rather big person. So, oh, and Michael Rangers, and Michael Rangers, he was the fifth. Yeah, so, I don't know why Katie was on this raft. I genuinely I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> it's like she got like roped into it. Really big guys. Our friend Mike, who's like well built but regular size yeah. and katie 
Who's five foot tall. <laughs> yeah, it's just Jill tiny. Tell me, I'm five thing. one. Okay, I'm sorry. Five one. <laughs> yeah. So as we're going, we're watching their their thing go. And our guide says, All right, up here is a really big, really big turn. And uh, you know, pay attention to what the boat in front of us does. You don't want to get pinned against the rock. Oh my gosh, they got pinned against that rock. You don't want to get pinned against that rock. So we see that we see Katie's boat get pinned up against a rock as the rapids are just pummeling into them. And it flips their boat upside down. They get completely capsized in the middle of a intense rapids. Like mm-hmm. these are so much bigger than anything we did in America when we went whitewater rafting. This was like crazy rapids. And they're getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled. And then my boat is getting sucked into it as they're getting pummeled. We're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? So we bounce around their boat. And as we're bouncing around these rapids trying not to hit anybody, we see Billy and Katie pop up out of the water. Billy looks completely in shock. He's like, mm-hmm. I mean, he looked like he he was having a moment. And then Mike <laughs> Rangers pops out of the water and he gives this big like, yeah, he was so happy. <laughs> he was thrilled. Uh, and then uh, we end up yanking Billy out of the water into our boat. And he's like, took in a bunch of water in his chest. He's coughing and sputtering and he looks horrid. Yeah, and I think he, he talk- saw Jesus for a second. Yeah. So mm-hmm. talking with them, we had to stop the whole thing. And Keith dislocated his shoulder because he went shoulder first into the rock. So he popped Urgh. his shoulder out of its socket and he's in the river. Mm-hmm. So we had to get a rope and pull them out of the ravine we were in and get Billy yep. and Keith out of there. Billy, like, I think he dislocated with- his knee, didn't he? Yeah, he, he busted his knee pretty good there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So talking with Katie and Billy, they will, Katie would say, I'm kind of taking your wife's near death story because this is, I was there for the moment. Oh. oh she yeah. told me later that she legitimately thought she was going to drown until Billy grabbed her life jacket and ripped her out from underneath the rock. Because she was like, after the raft had flipped and had moved down river, she was getting pinned there. Yeah. The water was basically smashing her into the rock and she wasn't going down river. She was just pinned. And Billy right. grabbed her life jacket and ripped her around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then she popped up and she legitimately said that she thinks Billy saved her life there. And Billy's like, I almost died to get you. Out of <laughs> Thank you. Billy. So this was like five or 10 minutes into the rafting thing. And they go, okay, <laughs> that was the smallest rapids in the whole thing. <laughs> so, oh man. <laughs> the whole rest uh. of the trip, the next hour, we're all just on edge. Like, Oh my gosh, are we going to die? So we just had to ponder that for like 45 minutes. That's just way too much. I just don't need oh, any of that. It was amazing. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I don't think I have anything near death. I've never really had a near death, near death experience. I mean, I broke my collarbone by falling off the top bunk and landing Remember on my that? nightstand. So I guess you could say if I had landed a little differently, like on my head, that that could have been really bad but i don't know i was asleep when it happened i don't remember Mm -hmm. so that's like probably the nearest i've come to death the the nearest for me probably was believe it or not it was with cody uh we were at nelson ledges uh park which is one of the most amazing parks in ohio honestly it's really awesome it is also extremely dangerous because it's comprised of like a 40 foot cliff 
and then rocks that connect the 40 foot cliff to like a lower section and you can like go up and down and there's caves and stuff but we happen to be um up top and there's like all these like sections where there's no rock and so you basically have to hop over them and so cody and i would be you know being idiot high schoolers we're just like let's find the biggest gaps that we can jump over so not really the biggest ones but like ones that are safe within reasonable range of being like we can make it over that and not die (laughs) yeah well it just so happens that it was fall time so there's leaves everywhere well i went uh before cody on this particular jump that we did and i jumped and i landed and when i landed i landed with my left foot on the rock but my right foot was like it was like covered in leaves my right foot basically was in the gap between the two rocks and there was a tree right there and so my right leg just slipped and i stopped like instead of landing on the rock and falling forward Mm -hmm. i just stopped on the edge of the rock and was unable to move but i basically killed all of my momentum so then i like wasn't able to move at all and i like started like falling back and there just happened to be a root I was underneath the pile of leaves that I just was able to grab onto the root and pull myself up. And I was like, Cody, we're going home. <laughs> I was like, I am done. We are done. He's like, I'm going to go around. I'm like, good call. <laughs> wow. How far but, How far was the drop if I you mean, had fallen? Probably 35, 40 feet. And it's not Dude. 35, 40 feet onto like a flat plane of like forest floor it's like more rocks all kinds of <laughs> angular rocks like the sad reality is that there's been a number of people that have died at nasa leches it's <laughs> it's it's a pretty dangerous place because also the uh the type of rock is i think it's called like amalgam or something it's basically like a sandstone that has a bunch of little granite marbles trapped in it so when it gets wet it becomes very slippery mm-hmm. and people do not calculate what they're doing or pay attention i actually saved a different friend rachel clary who was one of my friends in high school and she stepped in a very similar hole and she was stuck and i had to like physically pull her out (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah probably maybe not the safest place in the world you got to really be paying attention yeah i i'm a lot more careful now i used to do parkour (laughs) and jump off of you know 20 foot ledges and stuff all the time and that was just like the norm and now i'm like if i break my leg i'm not going to be able to make money and i need money to survive (laughs) what a bad thing (laughs) it's not worth it right yeah yeah there's a little risk reward thing Mm -hmm. you gotta consider there so so speaking of huh i was gonna say we can move on to some more adult story of like what's some formative moments that you've had as an adult well yeah i was gonna say as a young adult kind mm-hmm. of jumping back out of the mission trip topic um mm-hmm. the three of us were very lucky to have grown up um well we went to the same church and we had a fantastic youth group mm-hmm. um we just had so many kids that were dedicated to being there and um were excited to attend youth group and it was a really kind of a flourishing thing we had at the time which unfortunately now it seems like it's uh not that um it's tough to get kids engaged now yeah. um a, a lot's changed in the last 10 years um but through our church we got to go to um at least for myself i went to jamaica and taiwan mm-hmm. and mexico 
Mm-hmm. Where else did I go? Ooh, Jamaica? That might be it. I said Jamaica. Yeah. Oh. Taiwan. Costa Rica. That's Costa, Costa Rica. Rica. I went to Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, so and the the point of the trip is to um, spread the gospel of Jesus to these people in these other countries through missionaries that our church helped support there and they, they lived there full time and they would come and bring teams of high schoolers and we would do different outreach events and um, just try to try to bring bring Jesus to these really remote areas and uh, this, these areas that really haven't heard of him so um, there were really those were really amazing experiences for me um, and particularly the Taiwan trip the the whole focus of the trip was to kind of put on this seminar that we played music for like live music so I got to play a ton of guitar and sing a lot that was the best and, uh, trips ever yeah and uh yeah you guys were both on uh one of those trips um the year that i think was like at least a really big year for me i didn't get to go on as many uh international trips but the year that was like really big was uh the main like idea that we were like the plan essentially was that we would go into different schools and universities and these and churches and basically kind of have like a program per Mm -hmm. se it yeah. was like a had a music component, it had a drama component, it had a time where we would just connect with the kids. Yeah, people would give their adults. testimonies. And, yeah, yeah. But the component, large component of that was the we would have like a worship time basically, mm-hmm. and also play some fun songs. But we did that fifteen times, I think. Yeah, like it would be a two week trip. Yeah, pretty much, and we'd play one every day or something. Two, like we did two a some couple days. days where we did two some days. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, those were and we, I mean, we had some crazy times. Like there, I rem- specifically remember one. And I know you remember this, Jeff, because we've talked about it. Is the time we showed up fifteen minutes before we were supposed to start <laughs> at the prison? Yes, I think that was the prison. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so this inmates staring. <laughs> They're at us staring from... at us, and so we're like trying to like speed set up, and we set up. Didn't do a sound check or anything. We we're basically like, nee, nee, nee. they're on, okay, <laughs> and then we just went. And yeah. it, it's uh, amazing that even in our lack of preparedness and stuff, you know, it's still amazing how we can just be used to still share the gospel and yeah, have an impact. The, the formative experience part of that was one: the amount of music we played, and it, it made developed me into a we were better basically musician. on tour, and, mm-hmm. we, and we became familiar with how all the equipment gets connected, and you know how to how to set up for a live concert, which was all mm-hmm. kind of cool. Uh, but the the biggest thing was seeing the number of lives that were changed by mm-hmm. what we were doing there, because um, they in Taiwan they have um, you know their it's Taoist is the name is it's like a sect of Buddhism or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, every, everything's a God essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so they've never heard anything, anything like what Christianity. So the funny is. thing is <laughs> so that the stuff so that we were doing there, it, we couldn't crazy. do in America if we tried. Yeah. We, you yeah. could not go to a public school in America right now and say, Hey, we want to perform a big, you know, Christian gospel presentation ceremony thing here. They'd go, no, but you go to Taiwan and go, hey, can we bring a bunch of Americans in? They're a bunch of Christians from this church. They want to put on a yeah. Well, we didn't service. tell them that that's what we were doing. They just wanted Americans in their school, and then we were like, sweet, uh, this is going to be very 
we're going to present the gospel, but yeah. <laughs> they don't care. They just want the they want their students to have a multicultural experience, pretty much. Because especially in countries like that, it's very uniform. Like everybody's Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, no you know, one we're in this else l- lives in Taiwan, but Taiwanese people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like in America, we don't really understand what that's like because we're you know quote unquote the melting pot. We've got people of all sorts of different races and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in Taiwan and Asia, it's all Asians. So yeah. <laughs> when they, they see a white person. They're like, what? Yeah. And uh, we also, what are you? we had a couple black kids too in our yeah. group. And, and that was a whole, like they were blown away by that. <laughs> mm-hmm. No big deal to us. But anyway, so schools were very open to us coming and didn't care what we did. Um, so we took advantage of that and we're like, here's Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and it was really cool. The, the response was amazing. And uh, to see, to actually see the Lord at work through something we were doing was an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll never forget the first, as, the first day when we saw, because we, we basically would do a gospel presentation at the end of it and then say, hey, if you would like to come forward and pray with us to accept Christ, please stand up and come forward. And the first time we said this, you kind of have this thought, you know, we've been at church camps where they, they mm-hmm. do the, hey, if anyone wants to come accept Christ, you know, please come forward and, and pray with me. And like two people get up and you go, oh my gosh, two people got up. That's what I had in my mind as what was possible to happen. What I didn't yeah. expect is we had a room of like 400 kids. Like mm-hmm. half the room got up. And you're like, what? Yeah. Oh yeah. Did they not hear something right? They must have not heard what the translation must have been a bit off there. This isn't happening. And then you start talking to them because like afterwards you just like play basketball, play badminton, whatever the right. heck you hang out with them. And you just ask them, so did you accept Christ? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Like 18 people in a circle and you go, wait, all of you seriously did? And they go, uh-huh. This is not normal. Dude. <laughs> well, yeah. Mind-bending. Yeah, the missionary, the missionaries that were there that hosted us said they've never seen anything like that. They've been there 20 years. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, we, we were lucky enough to um, just see kind of everything come to life there, um, mm-hmm. which... You know, in Christianity, you know, we're all called to be missionaries, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has a different role to play. Like some people are planting seeds, some people are watering seeds, and very few people get to actually watch them grow and see see the fruit of what, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So in those Taiwan trips, we got to actually see so many people's lives be changed. And that was a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Um, so... That, that was a big formative experience for myself. And the other thing that was guys. really huge yeah. about that trip for, for me personally was our dad went on that trip as yeah. a leader. Mm-hmm. And yeah. our dad, as you said, has, was, was very involved in our lives throughout our, our coaching and sports playing experience. And especially spiritually, he was always, we always asked him questions. We knew he was knowledgeable at the Bible. Whenever we had, whenever I had something I didn't understand, I knew I could ask him about it and he'd give me a good answer. Having him come on that trip was something else though. Because mm-hmm. experiencing something that crazy with my dad as I was an 18-year-old and kind of approaching adulthood was huge to me to go, I, I, can, I can stick with this for the long haul. Yeah. I can take this into my adulthood. Look at my dad. He's weeping over there because he just <laughs> witnessed like 100 people step forward to accept Christ. And he never dreamt he would ever see anything like that in his life. And I'm mm-hmm. seeing it right now. Oh my gosh! There's like there's such a there's so many more years of experience in in Christ and in the gospel that I that I have to look forward to. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's craziness. 
Yeah. So the mission trips are great. Our youth group was great. Just the retreats and going to Kelly's oh, Island. And uh, we just had a wonderful church experience and uh, really hope our kids can have uh, something I would give similar. anything for my kids to have an experience um, like that. Yeah. We seems like we got lucky because I, I don't know. It seems like <laughs> I'm pretty, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with other youth groups, but I, I'm, I know the youth group at our church where mm-hmm. we grew these up days. is not, these days is not anywhere anything close to what it was when we were there yeah um it's also been covid for two years which has been a try planning try planning a mission trip during that (laughs) you know yeah it yeah the wheels kind of fell off the bus yeah and then uh going into adult years a pretty formative experience was uh getting married uh (laughs) that's a big one pretty uh forming (laughs) as a whole yeah uh becoming a father um Buying a home, having a job, getting a getting my first real big boy job. Those are yeah. all those are all really big. Yeah, absolutely. So, just, I, was, I already mentioned the DC Scott. trips that I yeah. that I did. <laughs> We've been going for a little while, so I was yeah. trying to. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I will say for me, uh, I'll, this this could even be the last thing, and I know you guys will all agree with me on this one. But for me, from a musical standpoint, the uh, the most formative musical moment in my life where I was like yeah, this is going to be part of my life forever. I absolutely love this was when we would put on uh, little Christmas concerts for our oh, church yes. fellowships. And it was oh, the year right. that we yeah. played uh, Lincoln Brewster's Miraculum. Mm-hmm. Which, I think it was the second year actually that we did it. So not the first, let me just say something. Hit me. Everyone knows the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, you yeah. know, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, whatever. Mm-hmm. This Miraculum, in my opinion, is 20,000 times better than that. It, it is the it best shame. instrumental Christmas song. Yeah, if you like shredding guitars in a and playing Christmas melodies, Miraculum is way better than the Trans-Siberian Orchestra one. Mm-hmm. Trust me. But no one knows about it because Lincoln Brewster is not a mainstream guy. Yeah. But he, he's a Christian artist who can absolutely shred the guitar. Mm-hmm. And he puts together this instrumental orchestral arrangement that mm-hmm. is just fantastic. So you need to listen yeah. to it if you haven't. Continue, so, Nathan. I'm sorry. The first year you found it. Actually, it's hilarious. If you go and look up uh, Lincoln Brewster's Miraculum on YouTube, Scott holds the current. <laughs> it's my video. He has, it's his video because I, I don't know how you posted it first, but I don't know. He It's like got 386,000 views or something. And the live version has more now, like the video live version. But other than that, there's not even anything that comes even close. Oh, and so it's just yeah. funny. Yeah. All, and so you look it up and you're like, oh, there's Scott. <laughs> it's just, all I did was put the album art yeah. in the video and put the MP3 of the song underneath mm-hmm. it. So, so basically Scott, I, I don't know if you found it or it was Marty that found it or well, we had already played a lot of Lincoln Brewster stuff in the youth group and yes. he came out with a Christmas album. So mm-hmm. we were just listening to all it. over it. The second then, it came out. And then you hear Miraculum for the first time. You're like, holy snot. And your face just, you have to get a new face from the face market because <laughs> yeah. you've melted the first one. Yeah. So, so we decided we had to play we it. We decided we had to play it. I don't think we put in that, like a whole crap ton of effort. Like we practiced it mm-hmm. like pretty hard to be like, okay, we can do it. But there was like a kind of a time crunch, I think, or something. And it would just wasn't like, quite up to snuff of what we wanted so the next year we had a buddy steven who had a bunch of connections 
with uh it's like the kenston the school, the uh, kenston yeah. school band yeah. right he was able to get a marimba he was able to get like the full-size bells like the, yeah like like we had like way more effort into it and plus we made like a, you was it you or marty that spent hours on the backing track for like some of the like orchestra pieces well that the ba- were in it he he bought the backing oh track. he bought it the was, backing track provided, yeah okay but what what marty did is he figured out how to create a synchronized light show mm-hmm. with the backing track so get i'll get slightly techy here for a second but he had a usb to midi converter mm-hmm. um and so you would just draw in these midi notes and then it would um output through this converter mm-hmm. and then plug into the light board which can map all that midi data into physical light fixtures that are around the room yeah so you can program the lights to be you know turn on at certain times during the song like and when you be see the houses that have all the lights that do the christmas thing right that's essentially how they do it yeah yep. yeah so we man i'm trying to remember how many times we practiced that year because i remember that we i mean we already all knew it so we were pretty close mm-hmm. but i think we all got to like actually like practice that to the point where we were all very like this is absolutely legit and I think we killed it the day that we actually played it. Like mm-hmm. we almost nailed it. I know you're pissed off because you missed like three notes sometimes. I, and that, <laughs> it upsets you. I it's a really hard song. I objectively. I know. I don't play it well, honestly. Like I, I do a lot of it. Well, it's just the fast stuff that he does. I can't do. So yeah, <laughs> but that's why I don't like playing it, but it, it was cool. It was a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And man, and I was playing, I think I was playing keys at that point and I was only, I was only acceptable at piano personally, but I practiced my fingers off (laughs) to be able to play that song effectively. And even not even just, just Miraculum, but like that whole set, we were playing other Christmas songs and with all Mm -hmm. the extra stuff that we had was just, it was the most Christmas Christmas service I think I've ever had (laughs) in my entire life. It was like, this is full Christmas. We are here. And I don't know, it was like to to play a piece that just hearing it is like awestruck for me and to mm-hmm. be like, I can do that. It's like, there's literally nothing else. I can play anything. I, yeah. I can do it all. And it's like to have that, to like really put yourself out there and play something unbelievably challenging and to accomplish it was just, I don't know. I, I would not be where I am today if I hadn't pushed myself in those areas. Yeah. Playing Lincoln Brewster stuff in high school is what pushed me to become a better guitar player too, because mm. he can absolutely shred. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd have to try to learn his stuff. And yeah, it, it made me a lot better. Yeah. So that was a anyway such a such a highlight experience. Really, really was. I was talking about this with Marty, who was our high school band leader. I, I, I do a Bible study with him now weekly, and I just asked him. I was like, "How the heck did you get permission to do this?" Like, what I, did you have to do to say, hey, yeah. here's what's going to happen. And was, I'm going to take the entire sanctuary. I'm going to buy my own lights, around my own lights. We're going to program an entire light show. Uh, we're going to design mm-hmm. the stage ourselves. We're going to bring in a bunch of music instruments that are worth thousands of dollars on our own liability. <laughs> and we're going to put on the Christmas show this year. How did you get them to say yeah. yes to this? Oh, and we <laughs> had the really big, what is it? What are they, the, the tim- timbrin drums? The really big drums? timpani timpani drums the, the boom yeah i remember that we had those two for like some of the big parts yeah uh and like you like that piece is not even simple from a rhythm standpoint it has like 
multiple time signature changes in it. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, it's, it's not, not a it's hard not drumming song, but yeah. The, yeah. It's, so the, I was thinking August about this. Red. The the stuff that I enjoy drumming is so much harder to play than anything I've ever played at church or yeah. right. really recorded in a drum cover in a song we've made. Like the stuff I enjoy playing. Well, actually, there's only one time we played "Frosty the Snowman" by August Burns Red for church. <laughs> yes, once. yeah, that's right. Yes, that's a hard song. <laughs> like, that's an actual hard drumming song. It's like the only time I ever had to play something that I thought was this is a hard song that I have to actually really focus to drum mm-hmm. this properly, or I'm going to mess it up. But yeah. even this song, it's long and has a lot of different parts that you need to know. But if you know the mm-hmm. parts, it's not like any part is hard. It's just you have to know well, them. Yeah. I will say I have I do remember you telling me that the big marathons of music that we used to do on fall retreat when you were drumming for like an hour and a half straight you get tired. that was when you're tired and you're like I need to tap out like can someone <laughs> like come help me I'm going to die and we were playing some of the like really fast like when you're playing 16th notes like the whole time mhm yeah we don't play craziness. anything like that anymore. Those mm. songs are so gone. Yeah. Mm. There's no upbeat. If... This big songs are like, they're big, but they're not upbeat. We don't play yeah. upbeat things. Right. Now, listening to any worship drummer, it's just very boring, very just staying in your lane, not being too, mm-hmm. f- not writing the best parts for the song. You're just... I don't know. Worship is so stale to me a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a from it's a musician standpoint, it's like very cookie cutter, um, very little room for innovation or expression or anything like that. It's just there. If you're gonna play a guitar solo, there's like one acceptable way to do it. Otherwise, you're gonna offend people. So anyway, that's why I appreciate Lincoln Brewster so much. He's like, mm-hmm. screw that. I'm a virtuoso. I'm, he bucked I'm, that trend. He was like, yeah, I'm doing yes. exactly what I think I should do. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So. Big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff that made us. Yeah. That's a lot of it. There's so much more, obviously. Yeah. There's, oh, there's a lot. Another, yeah. That's just well, a another little story sample. time episode in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for sticking with us. If you made it this far, um, leave us a five-star review. Um, Follow us on the socials. The socials. The socials. The socials. I, I will throw out there. Scott had a had a tweet that got like 500 likes on it or something like that. So oh, there's there's some yeah, popping yeah. stuff on the Twitter. That's right. No one followed us, but <laughs> yeah, but, but, <laughs> but they, they liked hit it. the algorithm right. You know. <laughs> yeah, I did have a tweet get some attention. It was a political tweet. Oh. It's about mayor de blasio doing a vaccine mandate nice he's like people on the far right that he had tweeted people on the far right are denying the effectiveness of vaccines i was like no they're not <laughs> they're mm-hmm. denying you the authority to force them to take it mm-hmm. and lots of people liked it <laughs> anyway. it, got, it got picked up in the algorithm so it was like the first thing you see underneath it yeah and as soon as that happens yeah. it just off to the races yeah. right snowball effect yeah Anyway, we're pretty hot stuff on Twitter, so. <laughs> I don't know if you know, we have a really hot tweet. <laughs> we have one tweet. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Pay attention. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. All right. That's all we got. We'll come at you with some Christmas next week, so yeah. stay tuned. Cue for sleigh bells. That's right. All right, we're done. Bye. Cheers. Cheers.